Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Thank you so much for being here today, being part of what's going on here at Faith Lakeside. We had a great Sunday school class. Um, uh, at least my class. I don't know about all the others. Encourage you if you're looking for the opportunity for deeper discussion, to ask questions, to get your kids in, in deeper discipleship. Our Sunday school hour is a great hour to come and be part of. And uh, overall, our goal, our mission here is to know God and make Him known. And our Sunday morning service, our gathering is part of that. Our Sunday school hour is part of that. Our Bible studies throughout the week are part of that. And and to really walk with and submit to Christ is to be part of His community and His people. So I encourage you to get engaged as fully as you can. Part of that, uh, this coming Friday night, will be 1829. So all of you 18 to 29ers, uh, I'm bringing fried chicken. You bring a comfort food or something that you like, and uh, we'll share some time together. We're going to continue probably for a long time, actually. The next 32 weeks is kind of how I got it mapped out. You can lament later. Uh, and, and in our study of Colossians. So if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open them up to Colossians uh, chapter 1. We are still in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to begin to look in verse 21 of Colossians chapter 1. If you've got your Bible app, you can open it up, find our event for today, and follow along with all the sermon notes and take notes in your Bible app. The last few weeks, we've been looking at the kingdom of the Son, that we as believers have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of sun. And so if you have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the scripture there literally says that God has essentially picked you up and moved you, no U-Haul necessary, to get you from the, the kingdom domain of darkness into the domain of His Son. And in the last two weeks, we've looked at who the king of this kingdom is, and that is Jesus who is the eternal king of both creation, the first time, and the new creation, as expressed in his uh, body, the church. And then this week, as we look in verses 21, 22, and 23, we're going to see what is essentially in the church life, or in the kingdom, the pathway to citizenship. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and make sure you've got them open. Let's read together uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Here's what... The Holy Spirit says to us through the Apostle Paul, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. So just three short verses to spend some time on today, but I'm going to tell you uh, they're pretty jam-packed with some ideas for us to understand about ourselves and about God and what Christ has done for us. So here in verse 21 of chapter 1 of Colossians, he begins by saying, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, as expressed in your evil actions. So he says, you used to be. There was a time where you were. And so 
some of us, we can look back at, at certain eras in our youthfulness and go, oh yeah, this describes me perfectly in that era. Some of us, we maybe have been pretty good kids. You know, the worst we ever did was steal from the cookie jar and say mean things to our parents. And by the way, my parents are here, so I'm going to have to be careful not to act rebellious toward them. You know, honor your father and your mother. Uh, and it, it doesn't change. No matter how old you get, you should still show honor. Um, but, but there was a time in all of our lives, and some of us, it is still the time in our lives, if we have never received Christ as our Savior, where we are, we're alienated and hostile in our minds as expressed in our actions. So remember that. We'll come back to that once. So these two words, alienated and hostile, they're two very rich and meaningful words. We kind of read them and go, okay, yeah, alienated and hostile, whatever. But really what they mean is this, that alienated means to be shut out from fellowship. To be completely cut off. And so when we see there was a time in everyone's life where they were completely cut off from fellowship with God. Absolutely and unequivocally kept from fellowship with God. And, and, and not only were they kept from fellowship, but they were also, all of us have been or still are, hostile. And, and what does it mean to be hostile? Well, we, we hear the word and we, we think about it, but let's put it really, you know, rubber meets the road kind of stuff. You were once cut off from fellowship and an enemy toward God in direct opposition to everything that he values, that he has commanded, that there was a time in all of our lives where we were cut off from God and enemies of God. Now, these are pretty strong words because... When we, when we talk about this, a lot of us in modern day America, we want to think that God is just like, hey, everybody, I like you just as you are. Everything's cool. Let's just hang out more often. But the reality is, it, apart from Christ Jesus, all of us are cut off from fellowship and enemies toward God. And it's important for us to wrap our minds around this because God really classes us in Colossians here in, in one of two kingdoms under the domain of darkness, under the, the rule of sin and evil, or in the kingdom of the sun. There, there's no middle ground. There's no DMZ where we can all come out and just get along. You are either in the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, ruled over by sin and evil, or you are in the kingdom of the sun, ruled over by Christ, the King who created you and created this new kingdom and this new body to be His. And so when Paul is telling us that there was a time when we were cut off and enemies, it's important for us not to say, well, yeah, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it's that bad. Yes, it's that serious. And it starts not just in our actions, but it starts in our minds. He says that where you were in this cut off and in this hostility started in your mind and then it was expressed in your actions, expressed in what came out of your heart and your mind. And so he is letting us know here that this spiritual condition of alienated and hostile is expressed by our lifestyle, by our actions. And so how do we know where someone stands with God? We look at how they live. 
We look at what's coming out of them. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll be perfect when we're in Christ Jesus, but Paul is, is trying to help us know, the Holy Spirit is trying to help us understand that to, when someone in their mind, in their heart, in their spirit is cut off from God and is an enemy of God, that it will be expressed in their evil actions. Now, the, the next question to answer is, what is evil? How do we define evil? Because when we talk about evil, a lot of us get a mindset that we, we go to an extreme, right? We all well, we go, well, well, Hitler, Hitler was evil. If you've been on the internet much at all, you know, you, you understand when you want to call someone bad, the first thing you need to do is call them either Hitler or a Nazi. And it doesn't matter if it is in no real way a correlation to Hitler or Nazism. That's just, that's the end of the argument. Of course, there is an internet law that says as soon as you call someone a Nazi, you have just lost the argument. Uh, but but, but we, we know what's evil, right? We think of mustaches, we think of jack boots, we think of rifles, we, we think of things that are genuinely evil. We maybe will look at our culture and say, well, that lifestyle is evil or that one is evil. So how do we define evil? Well, here's how Webster defines evil. It, it can be either an adjective, morally reprehensible, and we'd all just go, oh yeah, yeah, morally reprehensible, arising from actual or imputed bad character or conduct, causing discomfort or repulsion. We, we have gotten to the point as a society, as people, where if something makes us uncomfortable, we will call it evil. Uh, I have met a number of beds that are evil, right? You, you, you know, hotel beds, they, they are always evil. Uh, my back hurts the next morning. It's hard to move. Um, you know, that, that we have lessened what evil is to the point of if we find it offensive, if we find it difficult to deal with or uncomfortable, you know, the, the culture wars are such that, that if Starbucks won't say Merry Christmas when they hand you your, your red cup, you know, well, that's evil. Uh, well, let's, let's be careful because if we make everything evil, then nothing is evil. But let's see what else we can, can, can do to define it. It's an, as a noun, the fact of suffering, misfortune, and wrongdoing. So we can call something evil because it is uh, a wrongdoing, or we can call something evil because it's suffering. When we think of what's, what's happened in Turkey and the, the earthquake, we would classify the, the, the earthquake as an evil occurrence in the sense that it has caused great suffering. I mean, tens of thousands of people have lost their lives and, and others unaccounted for due to this earthquake. And so it's clearly not a good thing. And so we could easily class it as evil, a, a cosmic force, you know, that evil is this thing out there always lurking underneath the seats, waiting to grab your ankles and suck you in. How about this? Something that brings sorrow, distress, or calamity. Something that, that, that makes life uncomfortable. So life being uncomfortable can be evil, or the thing that makes life uncomfortable can be evil. So all of a sudden, that barista, an evil being... And, and so what, what we want to do, though, is we want to understand when God, in his word, says that something is evil, what exactly does that mean? And so we'll use the two words good and evil to juxtapose, to, to set apart against each other, to try and understand when God's word says that our actions are evil before salvation, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, let's understand good first. 
Because in order to understand evil, you, you have to understand good. In fact, some Christian philosophers and teachers would say that evil is not a thing in and of itself. It is the absence of the goodness of God. It is those things which stand, well, actually, I'm spoiling it now, those things that stand in opposition to the goodness of God. Psalm 25, 8 says this about God. The Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. When we want to know what is evil, we do not look to our Webster's Dictionary or our own feelings. Instead, we look to the creator of all things who by nature is good, is the antithesis, the the opposite of evil. And so when he declares something right and good, then it is. And he has been so gracious that he is willing to show even people like us the difference between good and evil. To lay out for us a clear path that is according to his goodness and his plans. Psalm 119 verses 1 through 3, the psalmist writes this, How happy or blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. In other words, good blamelessness flows from the teachings of God. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. The things that he says are good and right are good and right. They do nothing wrong. In other words, those who walk in the ways of the Lord do no evil. They walk in his ways. And so if those who are walking in the way of the Lord do no evil, then we understand that good that it defines what evil is, is the, the way of the Lord. The clear revelation that God has given us of himself and his desires. Mark ten eighteen. Jesus. Jesus is so awesome as a teacher. Uh, uh, someone walks up to him and says, a good teacher. And Jesus comes back, not with, yes, but he says this. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. Do you realize this is a backhanded statement? I'm God. You're right. I'm good and I'm God. Now, what was your question? It's kind of how Jesus approaches it. But Jesus himself says, you want to know good? You must turn to God. So God is the one who defines good. And it is that which stands in opposition to God that is evil. And so evil is is all those things which stand in opposition to the revealed plans and desires of the Creator. How do we know the plans and the desires of the Creator? Is it what we feel? Do we roll the dice? Do we we see what somebody's t-shirt says and then go from there? No. You see, we understand and we believe with all of our hearts that this book contains the revealed Word of God. It is God graciously sharing with us fallen mankind everything we need to understand about his desires and his plans in order to respond in obedience in order to walk rightly in order to be those kinds of people who have a life that is ordered in such a way that we do not rebel against him now we understand that Sin has caused some real issues for all of us. And that evil is something that that occurs in life. But we have to understand, evil isn't just those things which make us uncomfortable or make life difficult. It is instead any of those things which are in opposition to what God has said His plans and desires are for us. 
And what are his plans and desires? Well, Jesus sums it up in love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But anybody who's been in a Bible study with me in the last month, uh, and somehow this has come up with all of us, is that how does Jesus define what it means to love God and love your neighbor? The Ten Commandments. And, well, wait a minute. What about the Ten Commandments? Well, I need more detail. Guess what? There's a whole book of detail called Leviticus that tells you how to apply the Ten Commandments in your everyday life. Tells you who it's okay to be intimate with and not, what to eat and not to eat, uh, how to honor parents and not, how to glorify God and not. And so it's important that we understand that God has given us all the information we need to understand what evil is. And it used to flow from each and every one of us. Now how critical is it that, that we treat evil as something to be shunned, treat evil as something to be dealt with in Christ Jesus. See, we tend to be, believe, especially our own evil, the, the things that come from within us, we like to make excuses for it. But here's what God's word says. Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Now, when, when the scripture says woe, it doesn't mean hold back, horse. It means that this is among one of the worst things you can do according to God's perspective. When, when Scripture declares that something is a woe, it is on the top list of things that God abhors. And so Isaiah reveals to us that it is completely against God's heart for those who call evil good and good evil. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, if God declares that something is evil in his word, for us to declare it good is to suffer the woe of his disdain, his, his anger, and even his wrath. And so we must be very careful when God calls something evil to not say, well, but it's okay. I tend to like it. I approve of it. We must be careful. Now, you think, well, maybe, maybe that was just Isaiah. Here's what Malachi says. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you ask, how have we wearied him? So God's a little, a little tired of your behavior. Well, wait a minute. Why would he be tired of us? I mean, we're doing all the right things. I come to church once a week. I read my Bible app, the verse of the day. I listen to Christian radio. Uh, I don't cuss. I don't smoke. I don't drink. And I don't date people who do. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm in good shape, right? No. God's worn out, not because of, of your seeming good works, but because every, well, you say this, everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he is delighted with them. Or else, where is the God of justice? In other words, because ju God doesn't strike somebody dead when they sin, you're like, well, it must be okay. I mean, God must be all right with it if he allows it to happen. No. No, God is not all right if he allows it to happen. What God is doing is he's allowing people to have an opportunity to repent and turn to him before he strikes them dead. And, and God's word is so clear that when you declare something that is evil, good, it wearies God. It's a, it's a big deal to us. Now, Romans 1.32 tells us this in the New Testament. 
Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, and, and the such things that are listed before this verse are all of the things that we understand to be sinful and evil according to the teachings of the New Testament. That those who practice such things, they deserve to die. And, and you know what's funny is we all inherently understand. In our hearts, we know what's right and wrong. Our conscience screams at us when we disobey God's standards. Even before you're a Christian, you feel guilty when you do that which you know is evil. You feel guilty. And, and Romans says we reach a point in society where not only do we know it's wrong, not only do we, we know what certain things deserve, that we get to the point where we not only do them, but we even applaud others who practice them. We begin to say, not just, hey, you know, I'm struggling with it, it's okay, but we go... Your sin, that is so amazing. You're so bold, so, so pioneering, so proud. We begin to applaud wrongdoing in our culture, in our lives. And, and if, if I'm stepping on your toes, know that I'm stepping on my own at times too, right? That, that Michael is not perfect, that, that I'm still struggling with my own sin desires and my own tendencies and, and my own wanting to look around the world and go, yeah, but is, does it really mean what it says? And, and is it really that big of a deal? Can't God be okay with it? And, and God is, is so clear over and over again, I'm not okay with it. I, I'm not. And, and for you to say that evil is good is wrong. So when we understand evil and we understand it's a big deal to God, now we need to understand where does it come from? Where does evil come from? Yeah, some of you are already working ahead. You can see, got the church lady down in the corner. You know, Satan maybe? Is it, it, so we want to do this, right? We want to say, well, evil, right. But, but we know that it, that's the devil. It's, it's the devil. We're just going to cast him out in Jesus' name. And we're just, it's always the devil. Every bad thing comes from the devil. Here's what scripture says. Actually, this isn't scripture. That's Alexander Siltonikin. I don't care about him yet. Um, Jeremiah 17, 9. Here's what scripture says. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? The worst advice you can ever give or receive is just follow your heart. John Calvin says that your heart is a factory of idols. Jeremiah 17, 9, that your heart is deceitful above everything else. Now, what is anything else that includes Satan, doesn't it? I've got to tell you, it, God could get rid of Satan today. All the demons, all the, the spiritual agents of temptation that surround us. And do you know what? You'd still struggle with sin. Because sin doesn't come from Satan. This evil, it doesn't find its rise in Satan. It finds its rise, its root, its, its existence in your heart. Jesus says this, But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. With the mouth standing in as representative for your whole lifestyle. Jesus says your lifestyle is flowing from your heart. I know who you are on the inside because of what you're doing. And here's what comes from the heart. 
evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, and slanders. These are the things that defile a person. Eating with one unwashed hands does not defile a person. In other words, listen, the rules that God gave us for, for certain things like attending a fellowship and, and, and you know, studying his word, those are important, but those aren't the things that make you holy or unholy. It's what's coming out from inside your heart that defines who you really are. Again, Mark chapter 7, Jesus says the same thing. Two testimonies of this statement. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. It's what's in your heart and comes flowing out of you. That's where evil comes from. Luke 6.45, Jesus says this. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Look, when we we see evil in the world, we have to understand it is not not a a deal where it's a, a need of greater legislation or better leadership. Or, or anything like that. Do you know where evil comes from? Well, well, God's word says it comes from inside all of us. And so it's not an out there issue, but an in here issue. And so as, as, as people who believe in the power of Jesus Christ, who believe in his ability to reform us from the inside out, to make us new creations, our goal in trying to combat evil should be sharing the gospel all the more. Because only the gospel changes hearts. And defeating evil will require, will require that hearts be changed in order for evil to be defeated. Let's go back to, I'm, I'm not good with my Russian names, right? Solzhenitsyn. <laughs> Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Some of you guys are familiar because you're maybe, maybe you know, read in those things. Uh, uh, Archipelago Gulag is uh, one of his books. In fact, that's the one that got him kicked out of Russia. He was a devout communist, served in the Russian military, saw things happen, changed his mind, ended up in prison. He was always an Orthodox Russian believer. And he says this about combating evil. If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it was necessary only to separate from the re- them from the rest of us and destroy them. Wouldn't it be so easy to defeat evil if it was just, all right, it's you, and it's you, and it's you, and it's you, and it's you. All right, you're going over there, and we're done. Evil's defeated. (laughs) Hooray! Except he says it's in all of us, and that's what Scripture says. It's in all of our hearts. It would be so easy if we could just get rid of the evil people, but we are the evil people. The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. We are evil. G.K. Chesterton was noted as a declaring uh, in response to a question posed in a, a uh, newspaper in London. What is wrong with this world? And his response was simple. He wrote back and said, I am. I'm what's wrong with this world. You're what's wrong with this world. It's all of us. It's our hearts that need changing but this is where it gets exciting, right? Verse 21 started with, once you were. Once you were. There was a point in time 
where you were cut off from fellowship, where you were an enemy of God, where your mind was so twisted up and your heart so full of evil, and we could see it expressed in your evil actions, your lifestyle of rebellion against God. But now, there's a change that happens. And there's a shift here. But now, He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before Him. You used to be like that. But now, now that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now that you have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, now that He's your King, you get to celebrate some things. This, He has reconciled you. He has reconciled you. What does it mean to reconcile? Well, if you remember, you were, you were hostile. You were an enemy of His. Do you know what He did? He didn't just call you to the table and said, let's negotiate a peace. Instead, He did all of the work. He paid the price for your rebellion. He made peace for you. If you'll only accept Him as your King who made the peace. He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death. He has made peace for you through His physical body through His death. Now this was specifically written to combat some of the false teachers of the day. If you remember back in the introduction to the the letter of to, to the church in Colossae, we had talked about there were some false teachers who were teaching that Jesus did not actually come physically. That he just appeared to have a body, but was instead an, an apparition with some substance, essentially. Because, you know, there was no way that the one true God could become physical and put on flesh. And, and Paul is, is trying to make very clear, Jesus made peace for you through his death on his physical body. Now, you might go, why physical body? It's actually two words right there. In the Greek, sarx and soma. And you might go, so what? Shut up, Michael. No, it's cool. Let me tell you. Because it, it means his fleshly body. The word sarx, physical. It really, the, the, the Apostle Paul wanted to write and tell us, he had flesh, just like you and me. He was in a meat suit. I mean, yet he was fully God and fully man. And it just... Whoa, he really came. He really died to make peace with the Father on your behalf. He paid the price. You used to be, but now there's peace. And now his goal is to present you holy, faultless, and blameless. In in other words, we've got three words here together that mean similar things, but reiterate that you now in Christ are no longer tainted by the evil that used to dominate you. That the things that used to define you are not who you are anymore. That the sin that used to well up from inside is now slowly being replaced by the goodness of God. And the goal that He will achieve, because He's doing the work, is to present you holy, faultless, and blameless. Those three words. So we've got holy. Holy means set apart. For his special purposes. You are set apart for the special purpose of God. He loves you, plans you, chose you, 
set you apart, saved you, and now he's ready to say to you, you're mine and you're holy. Faultless. What it means to be faultless is you can look at something and find no flaws in it. This is, this is beautiful. When God looks at those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, He sees in you no flaws. Now, you might still be working on some of those things and maturing through some of those things that would be considered flaws. But when God looks at you, He doesn't see any of them. He's not sitting up there in, in, in heaven and going, yeah, I mean, you're okay over here, but there's this and this and this. Let's give you a to-do list and we'll come back on our next evaluation. And, uh, you know, because I really, I, I can't see you as good until you get rid of those things. No, you are holy. You are faultless. You are blameless. In other words, you no longer have any accusation against you that can stick when you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and so, here is what Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He, the Father, chose us in Him, the Son, before the foundation of the world to be not happy, not to be prosperous or blessed, but the goal of God choosing you, the goal of God loving you, the goal of God sending Jesus to die on the cross for you was to make you holy and blameless before him. And, and, and here's what's cool, and here's what Scripture teaches us, is that this is a process as well as a declaration. You see, Romans 3, 21 and 24 says this, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. In other words, God's righteousness has been revealed to mankind, uh, revealed to us through the law and the prophets, and the righteousness of God that comes from mankind is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And so when you believe, you are clothed in, given the very righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a declaration. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody's heart is a well of evil and they need Jesus. But they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. We're made right with God for free through the gift of Jesus Christ. All of it links together. You used to be, but now you are. And now that you are, you are justified. You're made right with God. You are sanctified. You're set apart and becoming more holy throughout your life with Him. And one day you will be glorified. To just make it really simple, you are holy. God looks at you and He sees you as holy, faultless, blameless. You are becoming holy. You are maturing in your Christ-likeness. If you remember our memory verse from a couple weeks ago, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love God, called according to His purpose. Those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed or shaped into the image of His Son, Jesus. You are holy. You are becoming holy. And hallelujah, one day, all of this struggling and striving and ceasing will be done and you will finally be completely holy. And we've got a lot to look forward to as believers that one day we will all be physically resurrected and live on the new heaven, well, live on the new earth under the new heaven forever and ever, worshiping Jesus, living lives that are just like, mm, so good. And, and I got to tell you, it's not like what you maybe have been taught about heaven where we're all just like white robes and, uh, 
No, we were made to work. We were made to, to till. We were made to shape. We were made to, to build, to mold, to, to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over this earth. And when we are fully restored and finally holy like we we're supposed to be, do you know what we'll be doing? Things that we enjoy and it'll be meaningful and to the glory of God. No longer will you work for a paycheck, but all your provisions will be made by the power of God and what you do will be to his glory. I, I just, it's going to be so cool. It's not all going to be choirs if, and, and, and singing and like hand-holding and kumbaya. I mean, there'll be some of that probably, but, but if you're discouraged about the idea of heaven, don't be, because eternity is going to be amazing, and it's not some sort of mamby-pamby, wussy thing. It is life and life to the full. It's like extreme, um, you know, if we're talking about going too far. Anyway, <laughs> once you were, but now in Christ, you're different. If, if indeed... You remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. He, he makes one final clarifying statement. He says, you were, you once were, but now you are in Christ reconciled to be holy and faultless and blameless. But there's a condition you need to understand. You must continue to walk with Jesus and cling to the hope of the gospel. How do you know you're saved? If you say, well, because one day I walked down an aisle and I said a prayer and they gave me a little book and I stuck it on a shelf and I know I'm going to heaven. If that's what you think, you're mistaken. Because God's word says this, we must remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and not shift away from the certainty, the hope of the gospel that we've been given. How do we know we're saved? Because we continue in the faith. Because we keep up with Jesus. We don't always have perfect faith. We may struggle with doubt. We may struggle with, with what's going on, God? How can you let this happen? But how do you know you're saved? You continue. And some of us are looking and we're saying, well, I'm not perfect yet. Yeah, me neither. Nobody was. Remember the Apostle Paul? He writes in 1 Timothy. This is a true and trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. 1 Timothy 1.15 that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And we all go, amen, hallelujah. And then Paul says this about himself. Paul, who was an apostle of Christ Jesus, saw the risen Christ face to face, spent time in the desert being trained by Jesus is, is what we believe to be the case. He established churches all over Asia Minor and Europe. And, and he was an amazing man of God by all historical accounts. Do you know what he said about himself? In regard to sin. I'm the worst. <laughs> we're growing. We're maturing. We're becoming. Right? But, but he remained steadfast. I'm the worst sinner there is. And yet Jesus is my only hope. That's how we know we're saved. Where we acknowledge our shortcomings. We acknowledge where we're struggling. But we still say. But I hold fast to Jesus. He's all I've got. He's my only answer. How do you know that you're saved? If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Too many times we have questions about, well, what is the gospel? Golly gee, just read your Bible. 
1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that was preached to you, the gospel that was preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold on to this message, unless you never really believed. And what is that gospel? Here it is. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. That. Here it is, the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. This is the gospel. Don't let anybody tell you anything. Well, the gospel is being nice to everybody. No. Well, the gospel is doing good works. Absolutely not. The gospel is God wants you to have a, a happy and blessed life with all the stuff you ever wanted. False. The gospel is you are a sinner with an evil heart. And you are in rebellion to God. And yet he loved you so much he sent his only begotten son Jesus who died for the sake of taking the wrath of God and the punishment for your sins. The scriptures had always promised it. That he was buried, he really did die. There's no mistake here. He didn't pretend. It wasn't like, oh, it's so hot. I'll just pretend to die. He really died. And then he rose again on the third day. What does his resurrection prove? He's God. Normal people don't come back to life. Did you know that? Did you know that? I mean, I've, I've been to a few funerals. We don't ever have a moment in the service where we go and expect them to just pop up and start dancing, right? I mean, just, we, don't, we know normal people don't come back to life. Who comes back to life? The Son of God, the Messiah, the King, the one who was to come to die for our sins. So I, I want you to, to really focus in on this thought that, that salvation is based on this gospel. And what do we have to do to know we're saved? We hold on to this gospel. Will we struggle? Yes. Will we fight through some things? Yes. But there's a couple things to be sure of. Salvation is certain for those who believe. For those who have put their trust on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, salvation is a certain thing. But we also know that salvation, the proof of it, the certainty of it, is that you also must remain in that gospel. Jesus must remain your only hope, your only answer, the only one in whom you seek life. Now, Paul is so, so convinced of this gospel. He's so convinced of its life-changing power and how you once were, but now. He says this, This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. The Apostle Paul and others in that era and others even today are so convinced that the gospel is true that they were willing to give everything for it. We're still people today so convinced that the gospel is true. We're willing to give all that we are into declaring it for the sake of others. We know it's true. We know it's certain. We know you can be saved. We know you can be certain about your salvation. And so for believers, as we've read through this passage, as we've seen that evil is, is what used to be in us and used to be what, what defined us, now we are something else. Believers who are here today, those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you were an enemy of God 
And you, you need to acknowledge that. It wasn't just that you were a wayward son. It wasn't just that you were, you know, maybe a little messed up and he's trying to tweak things out. No, Scripture tells us you were an enemy of God. But now, Christ has reconciled you by his death. And the goal is not to make you happy, but to make you holy. And your justification, your right standing with God, your sanctification, your becoming more like Jesus, and your glorification, your eternity, are sure if you continue in the faith. You have no reason to doubt so long as you keep Jesus right in front of you and as the center of your life. No reason to doubt. No reason to lay in bed and question when you know for a fact that you've turned your life over to him and you will declare to anybody who will listen, Jesus is the only way to make my life have meaning and purpose and to save me from my sin. That's it. So for believers, you were once, but now. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never made a profession of faith, you've never made that move from, uh, to, to answer the sin in your own heart, but instead you're still at a place where you're calling evil good and good evil. If you are an unbeliever, you must understand you are still an enemy of God. And, and I know that sounds harsh, but isn't it the most loving thing we can do for one another to tell the truth about a where we stand eternally. If you are an unbeliever, it's not just that God's disappointed, which it's not that he's disappointed at all. It's, it's not that you make God sad. It's not that, you know, boy, things could be better if just, no, you are in active war against the God of your creation. If you're an unbeliever, you're an enemy of God. But once, but now, Christ has made reconciliation possible for you by his death. And what does that mean? Well, it, it means that you have rebelled against God, which is what scripture says. You are his enemy and you deserve a just death sentence. And we would say, describe what that is, is that that is hell. An eternal experience of separation from God where you reap the consequences, where you receive the consequences of your rebellion against him. That's what you deserve. But God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived a perfect and sinless life and then died in your place on the cross. That's what it means when, when we say that he physically, in his body, died for your sins. He died on the cross, took the punishment for your sin, vicariously is how we call it, a substitution God receives his death as the substitute for your death and your punishment. And everyone who believes on him as Lord and Savior, everyone who says, I understand my sin, I understand the consequences, I understand what you did for me, Jesus, in your death and resurrection, and I receive it and make you king of my life. Everyone who walks with him will be saved. And the goal is to make you holy. And you can be certain of your salvation if you were to believe and continue in the faith today. And so all of us have something to be thinking about. All of us have a, a thing to do today. For believers, I want to encourage you. You once were, but now. You once were an enemy of God. But now, you are His beloved, His chosen, His ones that He's seeking to make holy and grow in Christ-likeness. And today for unbelievers, I want to encourage you to repent or turn away from 
your sin and your evil and the things that come out of your heart so naturally and instead turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you have questions about what that looks like, then you need to talk to somebody today and not allow your, an, another day of your life to go by without answering the question, who is Jesus and how will I respond to him? Believers, I don't think we celebrate our salvation enough. I don't think we have enough. I used to be, but now. And unbelievers, it's time for you to get real with God and understand where you stand. And so as we get ready to wrap up today to understand where we are, we are in the kingdom of the Son when, as believers. We are in the kingdom of the Son. As unbelievers, you could be in the kingdom of the Son if only you would choose Him as your King. Our life is different, and Jesus is the eternal King over all of creation. And those of us who are believers, we are now citizens by His blood and our faith in Him. We're citizens of the kingdom of the Son. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll pull out our driver's license, and where does it say we're from? Well, it says I'm from Pennsylvania, right? But where's my citizenship? In the kingdom of the Son. And once I was an enemy of God like everybody else. But now, but now, now I'm His. My sins are forgiven. He made peace through His blood, and He wants to make me holy and blameless and faultless before Him. We should celebrate and those of you who've never received Jesus, that's your challenge. Consider, where do you live and what are the consequences of it? As we get ready to wrap up our, our time this morning, in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what life in the kingdom will look like. What, what a, a citizen of the kingdom, how we will live. And so I encourage you to be reading ahead in Colossians and, and just seeing what God's word says. But until then, let's celebrate with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that while we were once enemies, cut off from fellowship, warring against you, with evil just flowing out of us like it was nobody's business, that you still loved us. And now, now through the work of your son Jesus Christ on the cross, you've made peace for all who would believe on him as Lord and Savior. And so this morning we celebrate that we once were, but now. But now we are, we are sons and daughters of the Most High. Now, now we are ones who are seen as holy and blameless before you. Now you're, you're making us more like Jesus through every circumstance of this life. Now we have so much to look forward to. Now we have an eternity that is certain. Now we have a life that can be abundant even now. Now we are different. We're so thankful for that. And Father, we pray for everyone here this morning. If there is anyone who's never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, never wrestled with their own sinfulness, never dealt with the evil that's coming out of their heart, we pray that you would convict them this morning, that you would speak to them, that they would know your love, but also understand your wrath and judgment. And see in Jesus what others of us have already seen. Our only hope. And so this morning, we both celebrate and pray for salvation. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the good things it teaches us. And thank you for this life. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's sing this morning.
reminder for our last song, Colossians 2. Therefore, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all authority.
understand that there is good and evil in this world it's not out there, it's in here and we have a constant fight to walk in faithfulness and yet and yet he sees us as holy and blameless and faultless even as we are struggling with these very things continue to hold fast to Jesus he is your only hope And if you need to talk to somebody about what it means to be a believer, about what it means to hold on to him, grab somebody or come talk to me. But no, even if you've never professed him before, if you don't ever followed him before, Jesus is your only hope. Jesus is the only answer. He's the only way out of this thing. He's the only one who can give you life. So God bless as you walk in him this week.